But also think that every housewife, let's say I'm their agent, you have to sit down and say every year to this cast member, like, does this represent you anymore? How can this move the needle? What is the end goal? And if this is your only goal is to exist in this space, you shouldn't be on the show anymore because you're going to lose sense of who you are and what your value system is. And you and I have seen that happen before. And also, once you leave, you're going to be completely lost. And we've seen this time and time again. So you have to have those conversations every year with somebody. Stay tuned. We'll get into my conversation right after these quick ads. Welcome to Reality with the King. It's me, Carlos King, the king of reality TV and one of the most sought after executive producers in reality television with over 10 years of production experience. Twice a week on Reality with the King, we'll sit down with my friends across the entertainment industry, recap our favorite reality shows, and revisit unforgettable moments that we are still talking and tweeting about. Hey, Raindrops. So today's guest is someone I met, I think, two years ago, and she and I immediately hit it off. She's awesome in the podcast world. In my opinion, she's like the queen of podcasts because her podcast breaks down everything in the unscripted world, from docuseries to true crime, celebrity content. I love her so much. She's a good girl. She's a good friend. I'm talking about the amazing Casey. Hi, friend. Well, first of all, uh, before we get into anything, I have to say that what I love most about you is that you are unlike many people, I think, in this space. You are a real champion of women, and I'm always really grateful for that, and I'm also really grateful for your friendship. Uh, And you make me laugh. Well, you make me laugh, and thank you for saying that. I'm so honored that with your busy schedule, she is a mother, a wife, a podcast host, and she drops episodes almost every day because Miss Kate has a lot to say, and we have a lot (laughs) to get into today, Kate Casey. We do. So, for starters, we have to kick things off with the Real Housewives of Atlanta reunion that taped recently. And there's been a lot of chatter on social media about the seating assignment. And I got some exclusive tea based on, allegedly, who was sitting next to Andy. And I need for you and I to dissect why this seating arrangement happened the way it did. So let me ask you this. Do you know anything about this seating arrangement that's been the talk of social media? No. So bring it to me, and I think I will have a great opinion based on what you're bringing to me. I'm going into this completely open. Yes. Take a guess who you think, based on what we've seen so far this season, who should be sitting next to Andy? Well, I would like to see Sheree and Kenya, but I feel like he has a soft spot for Candy. So I'm going to say she most likely occupies one of those seats, but I think it should be Sheree and Kenya. So here's the exclusive news that allegedly has taken place. You're right in terms of Sheree is sitting next to Andy, and so is Marlo. Huh. Well, I feel like that's maybe because they're either rewarding her for bringing it, but it also could make sense to me if I knew who she's sitting with on the other side of the couch. Because sometimes I feel like it's strategic seating because they know it's going to create conversations and chaos within the filming that will make for great television. So who is she sitting next to? Allegedly, next to Marlo is Drew and Sonya. Oh, okay. And next to Sheree is Kenya and Candy. Wow, Candy, good night. This is your last season, sorry. Oh! I mean, right? So tell me why you think it's Candy's last season, Kate. I just, I think that that's probably, I I think they, listen, it's no disrespect to the individual cast member, but there comes a point where I think the audience and the producers and the network say to themselves, the story has been told. And I think she's been on many seasons. I think she's been incredibly, incredibly valuable 
But I think her story, we know it already. And I think it give, we need to move, give space for someone else to switch it up. And I also think she should be at a point, if I'm her agent, I'm like, I think that we've done enough here, right? And there's so many opportunities that she can get beyond the show and deserves to have beyond the show. I think that there's a point where you got to close the chapter. I just watched the docuseries on Derek Jeter. He should have retired after his 3,000th hit. But he wanted to keep playing, and then he got injured, and then the, 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 the team's pissed off because he got injured and he can't add any value. You got to know when to quit. Jerry Seinfeld quit at the top. I think she should walk away. She's done a great job on the show, and she has so much in her back pocket. She's going to be even more successful after that. So I'm her agent. I say I'm gone. I think that if you're at the end of the couch and you've been on for many, many seasons, that's probably a sign that they want to switch the show up. Have you ever seen Tamara on the end of the couch? No. Never. And as you brilliantly brought up in one of your first episodes, everybody has to be a force multiplier. And I don't know if she did enough of that this season. Okay, Casey! Well, you and I are always looking through a completely different lens than other people because we're always thinking about like how much story is going on? Like, what are we learning about all the characters? Like, is there enough there that their lives are overlapping? And I just, I think that they need to switch it up. I have to say, I've loved Sonia. I love her story. I love this beautiful couple. First of all, both are incredibly successful. Like I want to hang out with them. I want to go to a dinner party with them. I feel like they're on the cusp of really creating some incredible businesses. But I think that the conversation that he has with her all the time about wanting another child is really valuable to the housewives spectrum. That is a completely relatable topic that so many people can relate to. And I think the problem is that sometimes when you have these different franchises and the same people have been on forever and ever and ever, you don't really have relatable storylines unless that audience is aging with you. And there is an audience that's aging with the show, but there are also, I find there are a lot of college kids. Uh, there are a lot of people in their like 20s mm-hmm. now who watch the show who are fresh to the show. And that's what the network wants. You want fresh eyeballs, right? You got to keep that show fresh. So if you only have uh, cast members who talk about like stepchildren and children and going to college, which by the way, are completely important conversations, but if everyone's conversation is about having older children, you're not going to keep the interest of the younger audience. So they have to have someone new and fresh who has relatable content. That said, I've really enjoyed the way that Candy and Todd have talked about the realities of co-parenting, having older children, the conversations about what to do with wealth. I think those are all much better conversations than other franchises. I just had Raquel Gates, Dr. Raquel Gates on my show today. She's a TV uh, professor. And we both agree that Atlanta does a far better job of tackling the issue of mothering than any other Real Housewives franchise. So that said, I love them all, but I I think you have to know when you got to go. And I think, Candy, if I were agent, I'd say, I think think I've done enough and I'm going to walk away now. This is fascinating that we get to talk about this because what you said to me, I never looked at until you compared Candy's position on the Real Housewives of Atlanta to Derek Jeter, but also most recently Serena Williams retiring. And what did Serena say? And what did Serena say? She's like, I I feel like I'm being pushed into another direction. She's at peace with her career because she sees herself moving into a second chapter confidently. And I think that that's the best housewife's position is when you can walk away with confidence, that you know that you can shed that first chapter, move into your second chapter, and feel good about it. Most women don't do that. I think that she should do it. Let's talk about Candy's position on the Rural Hospice of Atlanta. I never looked at it that way, but I have to say you may be onto something because when you are at the top of your career and there's so much more for you to do, it may be time for you to go. So let's talk about my career in comparison, because I really want my audience to not take this as a shady soundbite, but to really look at it as a deeper meeting in terms of when to hold, when to fold, and when it's time to buy all gracefully because there's other opportunities your way. I left the Real Housewives of Atlanta after season nine because I knew for me that I did the best I could with that show. 
And I wanted to leave the party while the party was still exclusive, while it was still the Mm -hmm. hottest ticket in town. And I knew as Carlos King, if I'm able to take the pedigree of telling people, hey, I left after season nine. Wait, you mean that season that was highly rated, of the four-part reunion where this happened, that happened? I knew if I could take my legacy and translate it into my career goals of owning my production company, being an honor talent, I couldn't have done any of these things if I was still a part of that show. No, you couldn't have. I could not have. No. To your point, I look at Candy. Candy has so much more to do in this industry. Unlike Marlo, I don't think Candy is only Atlanta. I do think she's worldwide. We're talking about mm-hmm. Kate, a reality star that hosted Ellen DeGeneres' talk show while Ellen was gone for a couple of days. That's Mm -hmm. huge. We're talking about somebody who was on Big Brother before any other housewife was on that particular celebrity edition. Candy has so much more in store, and I never thought I would say this, Kate. I agree with you that this should be Candy's last season only because I think there's so much more for Candy to do that I don't think Candy is going to be able to truly capture this legacy that's waiting for her as long as she's on this show. Also, I think everybody can relate to this. I had a job that I was excellent at. I did media consulting for law firms. I was excellent at it, but at some point, I wanted to do other things, and by continuing to have that job, it held me back, not just in time, but in your emotional capacity to really be good at something else. And I think it's great the way that they have highlighted how much she does in entertainment, not just uh, in front of the camera, but behind the scenes. Like, they talked about her Broadway production and the meaning behind it and giving voice to black men. Mm -hmm. If you think about her not the time that it takes for her to film this show, if you eliminate that, all the other things that she can do within uh, business and entertainment that are going to far surpass her being on just this show. And one thing we know about Candy, she doesn't need the money. No. She's very wealthy. So the money should not be a factor in her decision to stay. Like, she could start a network. That's what I'm saying. Like, she, I could see her somebody running a network. I could not agree with you more, Kate. There's so much more in store for Candy to achieve. And as someone who left that machine and look at my life now, I'm the happiest I've been. I've accomplished so much. I have so much more to accomplish. I would like for Candy's team, like you suggested, Kate, to look at her and say, let's leave while you're still hot. And let's get you a talk show. Let's get you your own streaming network. Let you and Todd build this empire. Let's move you to New York for two months to create a stage play on Broadway. Let's have you star in more films and movies that you've been doing, but as a supporting character, only because your schedule as a full-time housewife is so demanding. But I also think that every housewife, let's say I'm their agent, you have to sit down and say every year to this cast member, like, does this represent you anymore? How can this move the needle? What is the end goal? And if this is your only goal is to exist in this space, you shouldn't be on the show anymore. Because you're going to lose sense of who you are and what your value system is. And you and I have seen that happen before. And also, once you leave, you're going to be completely lost. And we've seen this time and time again. So you have to have those conversations every year with somebody. No, and and one thing I know about you, you remind me of Dave Quinn in the sense of you're like the ghost producer of Housewives. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And I never get a credit for it. And you never get the credit for it. So we just talked about how you have to know as a housewife when it's time for you to leave the nest. And sometimes a lot of housewives stay because they don't have any identity outside of that franchise. And one thing I know about you, Kate, you live in the OC. You are friends Mm -hmm. with almost, if not all, some majority of the past and present cast members of the Real Housewives of OC. I listened to your conversation with Bronwyn. Because of your interview with Bronwyn, I created a show based upon people who aren't capable of separating their reality from other real things. I'm not going to give too much away, guys. But your 
interview with Bronwyn was so deep because Bronwyn said, and I'm paraphrasing, that she felt like a failure after she got fired mm-hmm. from Housewives and she misses the cameras. And she said something so poignant. She said, Kate, I don't know who I am without cameras in my face and without yeah. being a housewife. Who am I? I'm lost. I think that this is the luxury of really knowing these women off the show. And I feel like they know that I'm there for them and they feel safe with me. I have so many conversations about the filming and the toll that it's going to take and and before they start the show or while they're on the show, that when they're in the space of my show, they know I'm going to take care of them. Because in the end, I want their voices to be heard. But oftentimes... I think with the people that I've known, it, you, it, you're really privy to a conversation between the two of us. These are the same conversations I have with Bronwyn off camera. So she struggled because she was, and this is very similar to a lot of women that are on The Real Housewives, is that she was never a working person. She met her husband very young and wanted to have children. So Once you start raising children, anybody with children knows this, that it's very easy to get lost in the schedule of your children and to forget about who you are and what's important to you. So she gets this show and she suddenly has a job. She's accountable to people. She's showing up. She has people telling her behind the camera, you are an important person. You have a really interesting story. And then the show airs and she has strangers telling her, I'm really inspired by her. She's for the first time in her life, having a job where she's held accountable and she feels good about it, she feels self-worth, she feels independence, and she feels acknowledgement from others. And then she lives in that space while it's chaotic. She would be the first to tell you she's ADHD. So she thrives on chaos. So think of somebody who has ADHD. They thrive in a chaotic environment. They're stimulated by it. Then the cameras leave and it's quiet. So you're unsettled for many layers. You are battling sobriety. You're, you're battling conversations with your spouse about your sexuality. And most significantly, her brain is battling the quiet now that comes with everyone leaving, the cameras, the audience, everything. And so she's stuck in that space of like, I loved who I was when I was on a show and now it's gone. And I have to not only figure out who I am as a person, but I'm still responsible for seven children. So of course that's going to be, that's something that someone would unwind in therapy for years. Mm -hmm. And so she was just bold enough to say it because most of these women are suffering through similar ways, but They're afraid to say it because by saying it, they feel like they're going to look weak, that they're not going to have other opportunities, that people are going to judge them because they've been this television persona. And to let go of that television persona, it's almost like shackles to them because they're like waiting for a call. For Bronwyn, she was waiting for a call from the network to say, we want you back. And then it's like these stages of grieving Because then she's like, well, they might call me back, but I'm angry at them. It's like a bad breakup. You know, like, fuck them. Like, I don't need them. But then she's like, but I think I do need Mm -hmm. them. And it's like, you have to exist as a person beyond the show because this is eating you alive. You need it more than you should. It's like a bad boyfriend. So I think she was just unraveling that and saying that. But as you remember in the interview, she said, like, what, I have nothing now. And I was like, I'm not going to let you have that. She was so self-deprecating and not in a humble way. But in a very sad way, it touched me so much because this is a mother. And because she was on a show for only two seasons, she felt worthless without that show. And I'm like, but you're a mom. You have seven kids to look after. And it goes to show you the psychology that goes into what is meaningful for someone to be on TV. And one thing I can say to you that I'm pretty sure you'll agree with me on, I've been a part of this Housewives world for almost a decade. And one thing I know based on people who either left or got fired or who are still on these shows, they don't believe there's life after Bravo. They don't. I have so many conversations about you're going to be okay. You wouldn't even believe it. It's to the point where nine times out of ten, when a housewife or reality star gets fired from their show, they call me. Yeah, I believe it. And they call me to create a show about them. Or they call me to help them with another show because they don't feel like they have any worth without cameras. 
And the one thing I say to these women, and I'm not being funny when I say this, they DM me, they reach out to a friend of a friend, they start following me on Instagram, which I'm like, okay, I know where this is about to go. They feel like without these cameras, I'm nothing. And the one thing I say to these either former housewives or former reality TV stars is do yourself a favor and take the year off. To really just find out Mm -hmm. who you are and what you want, because maybe it's not meant for you to hop on another reality show. Maybe it's meant for you to sit back and figure out other avenues in this business. And the difference between Monique Samuel, because I know people are thinking about her now, I actually reached out to her. So that was the difference in this case. I reached out to her and she was reluctant But oftentimes, it's them reaching out to me, and I feel bad for them because they really feel like if I don't have cameras in my face, I don't have a life. Here's the other part of it that's, like, frustrating to kind of explain to other people is that I don't know if it's the people in their orbit. They don't have enough people that are explaining to them the reality of, like, what this specific television opportunity looks like. Once you leave... It is really difficult to be in the entertainment industry, to be get, have any job in the entertainment industry. And you've been in this very specific role, and it's a, a reality role where it's about you and your specific life. They all kind of start to drink the Kool-Aid, and they think, I have infinite opportunities. Very few have all those opportunities. Yeah. Very few. So they leave, and then all of a sudden, this housewife who never had a job before who's a quirky personality, suddenly thinks that they should be the host of shows. They should be an actress. They should do all these other things that people who studied it like Juilliard can't even get jobs. And because of it, then they beat themselves up about it. So it's like a, like a disconnect with reality. We'll be right back after some quick ads. When we think about this upcoming season of The Real Housewives of Orange County, our mutual friend Tamara Judge is back on the show, which I think is great. Taylor Armstrong is a friend to the show. Kate, as someone who lives in the OC and knows this world more than me and my listeners combined, how do you feel about Tamara and Taylor's placement on this upcoming season of The OC And do you think these two can make OC great again? There are two parts to this. I understand why they brought Tamara back. She is a force multiplier. Um, And obviously, they want to connect the storylines of Heather Dubrow and Shannon. There was something missing last season. And Shannon needs to acknowledge why she cut off Tamara. Like, we need—the audience needs that. Like, we need to see that play out. And we need to see how their friendship exists at this point in time. So I think they needed to bring her back to make all those storylines work. I still feel like that show misses the mark on what really OC is. So that's the second part to this. And to your question, no, I don't think Taylor Armstrong makes any sense in this at all. In any way possible, I don't get it. It's very 2003. I'm sure she's a very lovely woman, but... I'm just saying, for me, to look at this as storytelling, it doesn't make any sense for me. This is what OC is like. OC is actually a very diverse county. They just tend to talk about two coastal cities, Newport Beach and Laguna Beach, which are not very diverse. So I'm always just like, how do you cast a show and not have that much diversity when it really is? Like, the Asian community, huge. Persian, um, Indian, Syrian, like there's so many kinds of communities, but we keep getting the same woman who has hair extensions. Like why? The other thing they miss the mark on, and I don't know if you could figure this out unless you live there. I'm originally from Philadelphia and then moved to DC and then I went to LA and then I went to Orange County. I'm an outsider still. That is the story they miss on that, is that OC is a near impossible place to to penetrate socially. The people who live there grew up there and they went to USC or they went to a specific, they went to University of San Diego. They only stay friends with that group up until the time they retire and they get old. They hang out with the same group of 10 people all the time. So there's this fish out of water story that they've missed every single season is that there are people like myself who move there. And yes, it's helpful when you have children, but they're never going to accept you. You're never going to be invited on trips. You're never going to be invited over. Like, 
in, I'm in New Jersey at my sister's house. People house hop. You're invited. You're out of town. You're invited over. That does not exist in OC. The only time that people get together really is if they go to a restaurant. If they go out as a group, they're going to go on a trip to Palm Springs. You'll see 10 couples. They're all wearing matching trucker hats that say like Yacht Rock on it or something. Like it is a, a place that it's all about the herd mentality there. There's this pressure of do you have the right car, the right bag? The New Yorkers are about setting the trend. Orange County is the, uh, the paranoia about not being part of the trend. So that I never get. I'm like, I live here, I see this every day, and they keep missing that. I want to see that story play out. Like, how can someone penetrate a social scene when they're an outsider? Instead, it feels very disjointed to me. You have like, in no, and we've talked about this, in no world would Heather Dubrow hang out with Gina. No. And how is Emily in this group? Like, they're all, it's too disjointed. It's like this too. They all live in such different areas of OC. It would be like having Real Housewives of New York, and there's one from Staten Island, one from Manhattan, one from the Bronx, and one from Brooklyn. Ooh. New Yorkers would go, like, these people would never hang out. Like, how do... You're not, if you live in Staten Island, you're not going to Manhattan. You would never hang out with someone in Bronx. It makes no sense. That is what Orange County is like. Kate, you are dropping so much interesting information <laughs> for my listeners because I never even thought of that. The comparison between the districts in OC to the districts in New York City, because I used to live in New York. So you see what I mean? Yeah. No one from Staten Island is hanging out no. with a Bronx person, and no one from Manhattan is hanging out with anybody who lives, like, in Long Island. Like, it's, it's not happening. A woman who lives in a townhouse in Cotto de Casa going through a divorce has a completely different life than a woman who lives in Crystal Cove at the top of the top of the hill with children who go to private schools in like South County, with a husband whose business is in Newport Beach, those two lives will never intersect. If they do intersect, it's like surface conversations. And then add to that the component of OC being a very snobby, clicky county. It makes no sense. So when you say Taylor doesn't make any sense, is that what you're talking about? Because what part of the OC does Taylor live in, do you know? I have no idea. I don't know where she lives. She has a 15-year-old daughter. She lived in Beverly Hills. She moves to OC. No one seems to hang out with her unless it's like at a BravoCon event. How is she important to this friend group? And what does her story tell you about OC? Like she lived in Beverly Hills, but she doesn't have a close group of friends that we're ever gonna get access to that live in OC. It's not telling the story. Like, remember when we were talking about Real Housewives of Salt Lake City? You were like, you could call it Real Housewives of Tempe and it wouldn't make any difference. <laughs> the show has to be about what that city yes. is. And it doesn't. And I'm screaming all the time because I'm like, I live here. I know how these people are. Also, all the neighborhoods are different. So, like, wh where over where I live is, like, surf moms who, like, wear surf clothes and that's like a mile and a half away from Shannon's neighborhood, which is like suburban mom. And I'll tell you what the show really needs to be is the Real Housewives of the Port Streets, which is where Shannon and Kelly and they all live. And I'm not saying like I'm not breaking privacy laws. <laughs> like I think everyone knows that that's where yes. they live. The Port Streets would be the perfect Real Housewives of Orange County show. And here's why. It's this neighborhood that exists in the middle of Newport Beach. And there's an elementary school in the middle of the neighborhood. And the people that live there never leave the neighborhood. If I have a friend that moves there, I'm like, I'll see you in four years. <laughs> they all socialize together. They're always together. And there are all these different social dynamics that are interesting. So people say, Kate, if you move there, like you get sucked into it. And I'll say, nah, I'm like, I I'll go under the radar. And they're like, no, 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 no one goes under the radar. You move there and you get sucked in. That should be the Real Housewives of Orange County, the Port Street show. And that is the reason why the golden days of the OC worked, because like you said, it was these real friendships in these real neighborhoods where they sort of live close to each other. Coto de Casa, that's, that, that is like the Port Streets. It's like this neighborhood. So all their lives are overlapping. Now it's just like the Staten Island Bronx Manhattan show. And that's why it's not working. So because now 
they decided to get rid of Dr. Jen, who I know is a friend of yours. And I believe you referred Dr. Jen, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think that she had already maybe was on their radar. But one of the producers, I, I kept saying, you, you got to look at her because I've known them for a decade. And her husband is wonderful. I mean, they're just so disjointed within their marriage. But I thought that that was a modern story of like, she's working all the time and he's the stay-at-home hot dad. At the school they used to go to before they came to ours, he would get written up. They would complain because he would never wear a shirt to school. It was like a Christian school. And they would drop, like he'd be dropping their kids off and he's so oblivious. He's so sweet. He's so oblivious. And like, kind of like low cut, like running shorts with like muscles. And women are just like staring at him like like he was the hot husband. And he's oblivious to it. There's just so many layers. I'm like, these two are just wackadoo hilarious. They never tap into that. Never. There are women that are like, oh my God. I get texts all the time like, oh my God, I just saw Ryan at basketball tryouts. He's so hot. And now for me, he's like my brother. So I'm, I'm, I'm just like laughing about it. But there's that component. And then she's oblivious to stuff too. Like since she works all the time, she's oblivious to stuff. And then she'll come to me and she'll complain. She'll be like, I'm just so mad at Ryan. Like he gets to go to the tennis matches and like he gets to see all of that. And like, you can too, if you let him work more and you work less. And she's like, no, I want to work. I'm like, we have to compromise. So it's like, they're always arguing. And I just felt like a lot of people could relate to that, that that's a modern story. Like a lot of men now are work, are the stay-at-home dads. Listen, there are many stories that I'm surprised they have not covered in all these seasons of 20 years of Housewives. Stay-at-home dads didn't seem to be covered that much. Health issues don't seem to be, to be covered as much as I would think. You have 150-plus housewives. I can't believe only three of them have had an eating disorder. I can't believe very few of them have had paranoia about, like, mammographies, uh, about having ovarian cysts, about um, relatives that have Alzheimer's. Like, the health component, I'm surprised they never kind of cover that stuff. Um, Yeah, I just always look at it like I feel like I'm a, a cultural anthropologist. So I'm thinking of, like, are these modern stories, are these people that I know, are they talking about real issues, real people? And I feel like over the years, sometimes it gets away from that because it becomes about the dinner party and survivor and alliances. And I think in order to be really successful and to keep people engaged, there has to be storytelling that's relatable. When I stepped up on the Real Housewives of Atlanta as the showrunner slash executive producer, it was a mandate for me because I'm like you. I never called myself this, but I love how you said it, a cultural anthropologist, because I'm like, that's what it is. I told Candy, Phaedra, Nini, Kenya, Portia, it was it was mandatory that we talk about real life issues. And it's no secret that mm-hmm. season six of that show was the highest rated because I said, listen, we can easily throw shade and read each other and all that stuff, but people want to know the truth. They want to know the truth between Phaedra and Apollo, Candy and Todd's relationship, how your mother could be overbearing, Nene and Greg being remarried. Are they still in the honeymoon stage? Kenya dealing with being a single woman who wants a kid, but she is trying to survive these friendships where people think she flirts with her husbands. It was like stuff that Mm -hmm. I knew a large group of people could relate to. And what I do feel like what's happening now, I feel like Beverly Hills is having not a so great season because we're not talking about anything real. And these past two episodes, Kate, we had Lisa Renna put on a performance of a lifetime. And I was so taken aback because I'm like, we're used to you sort of acting out in a playful way and you're in on the joke. But these loud outbursts directed towards Sutton is so boring, lazy, immature, that it's not making me want to watch the rest of the season because it's not real. Like, you're, you're, you're having these outbursts across the dinner table where Melissa Etheridge is singing you guys a song that she cleared for Bravo. And last but not least... <laughs> You, I'm, I'm really interested in following your story about your mom passing. Like, I, I really, we as the audience, Kate, love Lois and may she rest in peace. 
I would love to yeah. see conversations with you, t- with your daughters. Totally agree with you. you. You two are all I have. Your grandma is gone. I would love yeah. to see you and Harry fuck the spaghetti sauce. I want to see you and Harry have a real conversation about yeah. your place in Hollywood. Are you a has-been actress? What does it mean right now that your husband, he still is booking gigs, and Lisa Renna, you can't book a gig to save your life. I wanted to understand mm-hmm. that relationship. Also, I would have really preferred to see Eileen Davidson and Lisa Renna talk about the trajectory of their career where Eileen mm-hmm. won an Emmy mm-hmm. her first season on Beverly Hills. She won an Emmy for acting on Days of Our Lives, whereas Lisa Renna's career... Like, she's unbookable in terms of being an actress. Well, that goes back to what we were saying, is that the show really has to be about the city. The city is Beverly Hills. That's the core, like the, the center of the West Coast entertainment business. So the fact that, to your point, we're not having those conversations, that you've been married for, I don't know how many years, 30 years or something. You're both working, but your husband's get booking scripted projects that you probably still want to get, but don't get them. It's sorry if it's meta, but you're not getting them because you're an unscripted television star now. Why, that, that should be discussed. We should talk about how your daughters are now in their early 20s in an, a vicious entertainment industry. How do you protect them? How do you support them? How does your husband support them? None of those things are happening That is central to the core of the people who live in that city and the dynamics of living in that city. That is why the show is not as great anymore. That's why we do like to watch Erica, because that is a story that's very rich in Beverly Hills. The rise and fall of somebody who has money and power and access. That's why we watch that. Because that is what happens in a city like that. It's not going to happen in Topeka. It's not going to happen in Minneapolis. That's happening there. So that's why we watch for Erica. We do still kind of watch for Kyle because her sister's on the show and they were both like, or she was a child actress and they have been in the industry since they were younger. So I think people watch because they find that fascinating. How can you be a child actor and continue to be in the industry and all the ancillary people that they know because they've lived there for so long. So you're anticipating like what friend of theirs is going to walk through the door that Kathy knows all of these people because of society circles and because her husband's in real estate. Like I think people are kind of interested still for that reason. Although I don't know if I get as much layers to who Kyle is because of it. Like I want to know more about Kathy and Kyle's mom and because of their, her role in their life, how do, how, do, how do they live in their own marriages? How do they live as, a, how do they parent their children because of big Kathy? That is missing from the show. I need all of that too. So again, it goes back to who are the women that exist in the city? What is this, this city built around? And are we getting realistic stories from there? We all know Beverly Hills is this franchise that people love to hate, it's, 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 but it's also the highest rated so far of all the, these cities. And it's sort of like the fan favorite. Erica Jane, last season was super fascinating because of everything you said. We watch these true crime documentaries. We watch American Greed on CNBC that's been on for 20 years because there is something fascinating about this wealthy guy who, who allegedly did something mischievous and his bombshell wife is at the intersect of all of this. And to see Erica Jane for her first couple of years on the show flaunt this lifestyle that we were all envious, like, work, bitch. Oh, my gosh. Like, yes. And to see that all crumbling down, because at the end of the day, it's human nature to build someone up just to tear them down. And that's why it's no secret that last season was an excellent season. I loved Sutton last season because Sutton represented a 90210 housewife who's like, I don't know if I'm able to rub elbows with you because that could affect my social circle and status in this town. And now you're poisoned. And and that to me should have been the story, which is why I think Erica said, whatever, Miss Small Town, you shut up. Well, also another layer to it is a little bit similar to OC. If you're not in the entertainment industry, no one gives a shit about you. If you're in the entertainment industry, they're looking past your shoulder to see who's much more interesting 
in the door, you know? So think about somebody who's just the housewife of someone in the financial service industry living in an entertainment town. That is why Sutton was a good cast because it's a fish out of the water story. She wants to be included in all of this, but if you're not in the entertainment industry, there's a level to which you can't really penetrate. So she becomes a television personality, which by the way, people who are actresses say to me all the time, they're like, I can't believe this bitch is like, got this big following and is being interviewed for like entertainment shows. And I'm like a working actress. So there's that too. Is like people now hate her because first of all, she didn't work in the entertainment industry. She's got a ton of money. She's got a quirky personality. Um, and also she's getting the privileges of now being a TV personality with no background in entertainment at all. So that they're not cracking open. Like, Lisa, do you hate Sutton because she has all of this, like, attention and Instagram followers when you've actually been working your way up in the entertainment industry for 20 years? Like, can we talk about that? Like, you're, like how many times have we heard on Watch What Happens Live, like Lisa said, well, I was actually invited to have that opportunity to be interviewed by Mar- uh, Marin Morris on uh, The Tonight Show, but I couldn't do it. So then they asked. She wanted to make sure that even though Sutton was interviewed, that she was the first pick. Yes. That's a Beverly Hills story. Why is that person chosen? I'm not. She doesn't have a background. She's just the TV personality. I actually worked. I've been on all these shows. So that's the kind of stuff I'm I'm just looking for all those layers. And that's the reason why the Ultimate Girls Trip franchise worked is because they were allowed to break the fourth wall and to really talk about what it was like being on the show. And I think because the Real Housewives, which, listen, bravo, pun intended, to the executives, the creators who built that franchise because it's not easy to build one that is synonymous with reality television, But that's the reason why I think a lot of people aren't into it as much as they used to be, because it's sort of like we need to break the fourth wall in order for this to make sense. We need to talk about, again, like what Lisa Renna is going through, what you said with Sutton. I never looked at it that way, but that is so fascinating. It reminds me of Atlanta. I said, Marlo and Kenya have this odd friendship because Marlo wants Kenya's approval that she deserved a peach. And I think this season of Atlanta could have been so much better if Marla was allowed to say, I now have a peach and it has affected my relationship with these women for the past 10 years that I built. I just have to say this. For Atlanta, I've always thought the two most poignant moments have been, one, when Nene is in the car, we've talked about it before, and she sees her her real father for the first time and realizes he looks just like her son. And it was like... <gasps> The other one is when Kenya opens up about being, like, uh, rejected by her birth mother. I mean, holy shit. So don't you think that a lot of the Kenya Marlowe issues have to do with the deep-seated issues of their childhood? Yes! Marlowe's rejected by her real mother. She's got to go through foster care, finally gets accepted by someone. Kenya was rejected by her mother. They're two women that have such similarities but hold back from one another for the same reasons that they have, you know, they, they have the same emotional um, problems mm-hmm. at the core. And it's like, as a viewer, you're like, oh my God, you could be the best of friends if you could figure that out, but you can't. And I completely get why they're both at other sides of the table. And that's the reason why you need a producer who is invested in the show, in the storylines, and not doing the low-hanging fruit of having an argument. Thank you. Like, you have Thank to you. go deeper, guys. Respect those women yes. more. Those women are complete, complicated, interesting, phenomenal women. And you would, you would do a much better service to them if you explored how their complicated lives overlap versus these stupid fights. That bugs me. Oh, it bugs me on Atlanta. It bugs me on Beverly Hills. That's why when Lisa Renna and Sutton had that argument at the Reed's party across the table that Kyle, who's the ghost producer, set up because they all <laughs> feel like, okay, guys, we're at dinner. We have to argue. That's the reason why it just doesn't work because we want deeper conversations. We want significant moments. We want something that you can could, you could cut your teeth into. So my hope is that if you are a reality TV star or producer listening now, You have to work overtime in order to really feel comfortable giving deep moments 
And don't feel like a scene is great because two women are yelling at each other. It's only great when the yelling moments is because of something significant that happened in their friendships and their relationships. I think Kyle should go. I think she should just go out now. She's the top of her game. Like, she's done a great job all these seasons. Her family has a Netflix spinoff. I mean, you're going to go to, like, from Bravo audience to, like, 90 90 million subscribers on Netflix. She's going to go into a whole new stratosphere now. What reason does she have to be on the show anymore? You know? That's like going from eating M&Ms to, like, eating a giant-sized chocolate bar. Like, why would you (laughs) stay? Like, I think she's done enough. She's done a great job. Go out with a bang. Go out Derek Jeter after the 3,000th hit. Stop playing. You don't need to play anymore. Enjoy the Netflix show with your family. What's interesting is the episode a week ago, or two weeks ago, where Kyle had COVID and she wasn't in the episode at all. Yeah. And Kate, it was a boring episode. And I'm like, it's because I the know. force multiplier Kyle is in there. So listen, while I agree with you that Kyle and Candy should go off because there's going to be much more waiting for them. But that's not their problem. They shouldn't have to stay on a show because they make the show. That's not their problem. That's someone else's problem. Ooh. She should have the ability to go. Like, think of all the awesome things Kyle Richards can do if she is not beholden to that show. Like, she's really smart. She could come up with some really fantastic new shows, business opportunities. Like, she could put much more into all the other ancillary businesses that she works on. It's not her problem that they need her. That's their problem. Why are you going to stay at a job just because they need you? Stay at a job because you like it. It fulfills you. You get a lot from it. I'm not saying that she feels that way. I just feel like, go out with a bang. Go out with a bang. You don't need to stay. Should Candy and Kyle leave their respective shows right now while they're on a high in order to achieve so much greater success that is awaiting on them? Let us know. Tweet us. And make sure you hashtag reality with the king. We talked about Candy and Kyle. So let's go to New Jersey. Obviously, the force multiplier in New Jersey is Teresa Judice. Is it time for Teresa to go, Kate? I think she should stay because I just don't know what she could do outside of this show. I don't think she's dynamic enough to have other things. I think the the, the core of that show is the fact that these in-laws despise each other and the other women are like houseplants in the corners that need to be watered. It's just really about two Italian in-laws that fucking hate each other, and I like it. So she should stay because... I don't know. What else is she going to do? I, she just, she, she's like a true television personality. I don't know what she could do outside of this show. Okay. Fabulous. Okay. The Real Housewives of Orange County. Is it time for Shannon and or Heather to go? Heather doesn't need the show. She can go. You know, she, there's plenty. I don't know what Shannon could do outside of it. I think she should probably just have a really great season where she's really open about, I've got a daughter that left for school and I'm starting to panic because my twins are almost grown up. And the conversation that I have not heard in Housewives, correct me if I'm wrong, if you have been the stay-at-home mom and your children are now of the age where they're gonna leave home and you've been reliant on the money that came from your marriage and for paying for child support and suddenly you're at a point where you're in your 50s and you're like, I've gotta get a real job and make some income because that money is drying out. That's important. She should talk about that this season. That is really important. And finding out who you are, that's a whole, that's important too. But like, where's that conversation of like money that dries up in your 50s and you have to go out and find a job and maintain a lifestyle that you're accustomed to? That should be her story. If she does it well, go out with a bang. And last but not least, the Real Housewives of New York City. Obviously, we have the Legacy Edition. But do you still feel, for example, Bethany left and has done a lot of great stuff with her charity, and now she's on a brand new show on CNBC co-hosting with Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank. Is it time for Ramona, Sonia, Luann, or Dorinda to go? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All four. Yeah, I think their story. I, I know who they are. I know their stories. I don't know if there's much there left. That's not to say they're not dynamic, interesting women. I'm just saying for the sake of television, 
if you're the plight of that producer is like, what's the next layer to this? And I don't know if there are much layers left to tell. Unless someone is like, you know, Dorinda's like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start dating again. And I'm having a really difficult time because I'm still clinging to the marriage that I had with Richard. And I, I mean, it's completely relatable that she would date a douchebag like John because you want something that's not serious because it was such a hor- like horrible loss to her, Richard, right? So maybe if it's like her dating, maybe there's something there. Ramona, there's nothing left. I know that woman. I know her story. I mean, take away what you like or don't like about somebody. For me, it's about the story. Like if she showed up to your dinner party, you're not going to have an interesting conversation because you already know everything about her. I already know a thing about Luann. I'm like, I need some some new fresh story to tell. Also for New York, I don't know if those women tell a modern New York story anymore. No, I, I agree with that. Definitely agree with and, that. And also COVID, post-COVID, New York is a very different city than it was 15 years ago. So you can't tell the same story. You can't tell the same story with the women. You can't st- tell the same story about that city. Kate, I can talk to you all day. I got to invite you back over. I had no idea that this episode was going to go in this direction. And I am pleasantly surprised, although I'm not shocked because you and I always have a good time when we talk. So where can people find you, follow you, and talk to them about your amazing podcast? So Reality Life with Kate Casey, you can find anywhere where you listen to podcasts. I have three episodes a week. At the top of the week, I'm going to tell you what to watch in unscripted television. It crosses all genres. I promise you I will find something for all of you in that list. You can get that list at katecasey.substack.com. Think of me as like your guide to watching great content all week. And then Wednesdays and Fridays, I have longer former interviews where I interview the host, the talent, the producers, or the directors in unscripted television. So that means reality shows, documentaries, and docu-series. So... I'm there. You can find me on Twitter at at Casey. You can find me on Instagram at at CA and TikTok at It's Casey. Thoughts? Opinions? Email me at realitywiththeking at stitcher.com or leave me a voicemail at 310-593-8188. Thank you for listening to Reality with the King. New episodes drop every Wednesday and Friday. Share, comment, follow, and subscribe to Reality with the King wherever you get your podcast. Visit realitywiththeking.com and be sure to follow me at thecarlosking underscore on Instagram and Twitter. Reality with the King is a production of More Sauce by Stitcher. It is executive produced by me, Carlos King, and Jasmine Henley-Brown. We are also produced by Sierra Spradley-Ricks, engineering and music by Marcus Ham. More Sauce.